Welcome to The Interop. Today, my guest is Nick White. He's the COO at Celestia. It's the first modular blockchain network, and it just launched a month ago. Today, we're going to be diving into Celestia. We'll talk about data availability sampling and the role of light nodes. We'll also discuss the other nodes that secure the Celestia network. We'll discuss Ethereum's role in Celestia's go-to-market and look at Blobstream, which is a new product that allows Ethereum L2s to leverage Celestia's data availability. We'll also discuss the increasing competition in the data availability landscape and other projects coming into this space. And we'll look at some of the few early projects that are already building on Celestia. I'm also dying to find out why he thinks the EVM isn't the be all end all in crypto. Before we get started, make sure to hit the like button and subscribe to get notified when new episodes come out every week. And remember that none of what we discuss here on The Interrupt is investment advice. If you like this content, please consider staking with us. We are validating on FMOS, Quicksilver, Osmosis, and Juno. Just look for Interrupt in the active set. My guest, Nick White, is coming up next, right here on The Interrupt. Nick, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Seb, uh, really glad to be on with you and excited to talk about all the things modular. Yeah, so Celestia launched uh, just about a month, well, it was a month ago yesterday. So congrats on the launch. It's been a long time coming and um, I, I, yeah, you must be excited. Definitely. Uh, it's, it was a huge effort over multiple years. You know, the Lazy Ledger white paper was originally published in 2019. And so um, it took, you know, the better part of, of four years to take it from white paper to actual protocol. And um, I think it's a big moment for the industry because we're really entering this modular era where now we have the first, you know, modular data availability layer with data availability sampling. And um, I think it's going to unlock a lot of like new use cases and applications and, and things for people to build. So we're really um, excited. Uh, and just, uh, you know, I think it's, it was worth all the work. <laughs> yeah, like Celestia has really created this this narrative, this, like the modular narrative, I think was 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 coined by Celestia. And like we had uh, Mustafa and Ismail back on on the podcast on Epicenter in 2019 talking about Lazy Ledger, and like I, I remember doing that episode and thinking back then like it really wasn't obvious what this was going to be used for, right? Like there was this idea that you would have this kind of lazy blockchain that would just um, uh, that would just prove the 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 existence of data, and I they hadn't I don't think they had really yet explore this idea of like modular blockchains or at least that narrative or that sort of like you know uh, stack construction you know wasn't uh wasn't really like form fully formed yet and um and then you know some some time later it was like oh, okay this is now celestia and it's like you know, modular stack and data availability and they really sort of like coined that whole new uh narrative in the ecosystem like since the launch what has been the the reception from you know the broader crypto ecosystem and you know do you see this uh do you really see this kind of shift happening in people's minds that okay now there's like another way to build blockchains i definitely see it yeah i think you know it's interesting actually in, in the first blog post 
that um, Lazy Ledger published as a project, uh, it you know Mustafa says we envision a, a world of modular uh, sort of data availability layers and execution layers. Um, and so like that was kind of the birth, I think that back in 2019, that was kind of the birth of this word modular, right? And then it, it kind of grew into the, the core way to sort of explain the difference between Celestia's view of blockchain architectures and, and the traditional monolithic architectures that have existed since you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, all the other popular L1s. And, you know, I, I think that steadily, at first it was just kind of the seed of an idea, you know, and, and it didn't really, uh, it took, I think, another major leap forward was also the idea of rollups, right? So John, John Adler, one of the other co-founders of Celestia, uh, came up with, you know, the construction of, of a, like, optimistic rollup. And I think that was kind of the perfect complement to this idea of a, a lazy ledger that's just data availability. And so it's a combination of those two things that unlocked this completely new architecture that we now call modular blockchains. And I think over the past few years, Celestia has been trying to, you know, evangelize and educate the, the broader crypto community about this new way to do things. And I think slowly but surely, um, people have been uh, sort of converted and, and nerd sniped into this new architecture because it has all these advantages from scalability to, um, you know, better to verify. You have things like light nodes, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And then you have all this added flexibility for developers. You know, when you can spin up your own custom chain, you can do things that you just couldn't do in a monolithic framework where you're locked within the EVM, locked sharing, you know, the same sort of like execution resources as all the other applications. And so um, I think it just kind of was inevitable that mm -hmm. Eventually, people kind of were won over into this into this new way of doing things, and I think now that we're live, it's no longer about the theory, but it's about putting it into practice. Yeah, that, that's interesting, right? When you, when you talk about uh, people being able to launch their own chain, that was the Cosmos vision. I mean, it still is sort of the Cosmos vision and the app chain vision, but but Cosmos sort of took it a step. Like, I mean, it was very visionary in terms of uh, having that execution sovereignty. Uh, for your own application, but I think, or at least like I never really considered when when those concepts started first started emerging back in like 2017, 2018, just the cost of security, the cost of securing your own chain uh, when you have to run your own validator set and when you have to sort of manage every aspect of your mm -hmm. chain. And it, it's sort of like we went from shared web hosting, right? If you sort of take the Web2 analogy, what I like to do, we went from shared web hosting to everyone runs their own data center to now somewhere in the middle where, you know, we have shared infrastructure. You're still, you're still leveraging some shared infrastructure in terms of data availability and perhaps security. We'll talk about Ethereum and how that fits in. But, um, but essentially the, the application is, the application is sort of containerized and sort of like lives on, on top of this, uh, this shared security model. And there's still a world in which some applications are going to want to like do their own data center thing, right? Like Osmosis and uh, DYDX and applications that have a lot of users uh, that have a you know a complex execution environment that requires also um, to be able to control your the, the consensus, the governance, you know MEV things of that nature. But for most applications, that's not going to be the case. And so, you know, I wonder, do you anticipate? Um, a lot of the, you know, the Cosmos app chains that, you know, launched in the last three to four years to, um, to become rollups, like to give up their validator set or supplement their security 
with, or, or the data availability with Celestia, maybe supplement their security with Ethereum or some other um, kind of modular security construction like that? I think, uh, well, I'm really glad that you brought up this sort of analogy of, of comparing the different um, architectures to sort of like traditional Web2, like Web3 architectures to Web2 architectures. And I think, um, you know, Ethereum or these monolithic protocols uh, are very similar to web, shared web hosting providers where like everyone's kind of like using the same infrastructure, but then you're kind of like stuck within whatever like frameworks that they support. So like that's like EVM or SVM, right? And you're you're ultimately kind of like limited in, in the flexibility and scalability of your system. So then, uh, you know, if the, 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 the next one is, is sort of like the Cosmos uh, vision of everyone should run their own chain, right? Rather than launching on a shared chain, run your own chain, you can have customization, you have more scalability because you have dedicated infrastructure. And uh, I think that's a, that's a step forward for certain things. But then the, the Celestia vision is sort of like the, the synthesis of that. And it's a lot more like cloud infrastructure where, you know, instead of having a data center where you launch a virtual machine, you have a data network like Celestia where you launch a virtual blockchain, which is a rollup. And then you get, you get the best of both worlds in that, like, you know, when you run, launch your own chain, it's like building your own data center. It's a huge, you know, capital expenditure. It's also a lot of like operational, like ongoing OPEX uh, costs. And um, so it doesn't make sense for everyone to do that because it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot to, 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 to take on. Whereas with Celestia, you can, or like if you launch on a data center like AWS, it's like, oh, it's out of the box, it's on demand. Uh, you get the same amount of flexibility. You, uh, there's like a benefit of these economies of scale, right, that, that AWS can provide to all these uh, developers. And so Celestia is the same thing, but applied to blockchains. And so like, rather than launching your own blockchain, you have this blockchain as a, as a protocol, blockchain as a service kind of thing, protocol as a service essentially that provides the consensus and data availability for you to launch your own thing. And I think, um, you know, one of the biggest benefits is that you don't have to go through the, the, the trouble of actually bootstrapping a validator set, issuing a new proof of stake coin, all these things in order to launch your, your network, because that is actually a significant lift. And then on, go on an ongoing basis, you don't have to pay for the security budget, right? And I think one of the things that we saw at least in the Cosmos ecosystem in the last, over the last bear market was that like a lot of chains were kind of struggling to pay for their security budget. Like, you know, you're having to have, you know, a hundred validators run these nodes. That's actually, that cost adds up. And um, then you're also issuing all this uh, inflation on your, on your token to, to pay for that. So I think there is a big economic incentive or reason for these Cosmos chains to migrate to something like Celestia. Now, I don't, I don't know if the existing ones will because they've already kind of gone through the effort, right? Um, but I, I do think that going forward, when new people want to launch app chains, it just makes a lot more sense to build in this kind of model. Unless, like you said, you are like a DYDX or Osmosis or you have a specific need for your own dedicated infrastructure. So there's been this build whatever stuff that I've been seeing on Twitter and people have been tweeting build whatever. What's what's the deal with build whatever? <laughs> Good question. Well, uh, build whatever is sort of this rallying cry uh, slash motto that, that the Celestia ecosystem and the modular ecosystem uh, have uh, sort of come up with. And it, it's, it reflects this idea that people should you know, be free, developers should be free to build whatever they want, right? And um, 
that that there's a lot of different layers to that. One is you know we're trying to one of the goals of the modular uh, stack is to remove constraints. So those constraints could be things like, hey, I'm stuck with you know paying really high fees. So like increasing the scalability so that like you don't have to worry about the the fees that you uh, incur for users, right? Uh, another one could be uh, just breaking free from like limiting yourself to certain execution environments, like building within the EVM or the SVM. When you have the flexibility to define your own execution environment, it opens up a whole new range of possibilities. Um, and so, like removing constraints from developers is, I think, one of the like main selling points of the modular architecture. Now, in addition to that, build whatever is about, is is also about this idea of just like go out and explore, and like you have all these different components that you can now mix and match, and there's all, all these like new possibilities, it's a new frontier. And so people should just go out there and like YOLO it, you know what I mean? Uh, yeet some new uh, you know, applications into the, the, the cryptoverse and then just see, see what happens. It's, it's sort of like this, it's like, you know, we're, we're on the frontier of such a new era in crypto and it's kind of like come join and like build something. Um, and so, I don't know, I, I, I'm, I'm really excited because a lot of people are, are kind of like getting into that mode of thinking. And I think it's, it's what we need to unlock this next wave of, of innovation in the space. What's the most, uh, what's the most extreme thing that someone has built on top of Celestia so far? <laughs> good question. I think in a good terms of departing away from like a regular blockchain application. Good question. Well, I mean, there's a lot of different like new things that you can do. I mean, you know, well, one, one example that I really like as, as an example of build whatever is just, um, is actually Eclipse because, um, they are kind of combining all, like a bunch of different components in a way that like no one would expect. Um, so specifically Eclipse is a, uh, Solana virtual machine, uh, roll up that's, uh, launching on Celestia for data availability, but Ethereum for settlement and then using, uh, risk zero, as their sort of um, fault-proof system, and so what, what I find so interesting about that is it's it's like bridging Solana, Celestia, and Ethereum, and like Risk Zero, all kind of combining them all into one thing. And that's just something that I think if you rewound the clock like a year ago, or even even to this day, it, it like no one would could have seen that coming, right? And I think this is the kind of this is what we're going to see more and more with the modular stack is people just like combining these things that you know, probably wouldn't have, no one would have expected essentially. So uh, that's one example. Another thing is, is just like net new uh, applications, things like um, ephemeral blockchains is another like example of like just something that's net new on the modular stack where you can actually spin up a rollup uh, and do an NFT mint or something like that and then, and then wind it down. Like we're used to thinking about blockchains as like these permanent things, but actually in a, in a modular world, like there's no reason why they couldn't be short-lived. Um, and just temporary, the same way that you would maybe spin up a server, you know, to, to run like a, a ticket sale on a website and then like, you know, wind it down. So I don't know, that, that, those are just some ideas off the top of my head. Okay, interesting. So then you could sort of run your own blockchain, have the blockchain uh, commit data to, to Celestia, that data would always be there, you would always be able to verify that that data exists, you just can't issue new transactions after a certain point. Um, because the blockchain and the settlement mechanism and the execution environment no longer exists. Yeah, I guess anyone could still post to that namespace on Celestia, but the thing yeah. is that um, 
you know, there's no, like no one's using it anymore. It's sort of like, it was just like, it's kind of like a smart contract that you, you, you create and then you just like, kind of like uh, deprecate. Okay, interesting. So let's talk about data availability sampling because that's, I think, one of the major innovations here. Now, the, the this light node meme has been all over the place. It's sort of also one of the very strong Celestia memes is the, the light node meme. Uh, in fact, I was at this uh, this event you guys hosted in in Istanbul, which was really cool, and you had like light nodes all over the place. <laughs> it was very all very like futuristic. Uh, felt like felt like I was in the Matrix or something. Like that. <laughs> Um, but, um, yeah, I think one thing that, uh, kind of clicked for me, uh, last night I was at, we, we hosted a, uh, Celestia meetup in, in Paris. It was like the first Celestia meetup and I was talking to folks and, you know, they were talking about how light nodes don't just scale, but they allow Celestia to scale, uh, exponentially. And so I'd like you to maybe explain how light nodes work and how they actually scale in this exponential way. Yeah, sure. So, um, well, I'm, I'm glad that we're talking about light. Nodes. First of all, I'm so stoked that there was a modular meetup in Paris. I want to hear more about it. I see you that you're wearing the, the t-shirt. Um, you should show everyone the back of the t-shirt. I think it says, uh, Celestia light start. Yeah. So that's, uh, on the command line, when you want to start your light node, that's, that's the command that you enter. So anyway, um, so light nodes are really important because they're a net new node type uh, in blockchain. So what, what blockchains are at the end of the day are verifiable computers where, you know, a, a group of people agree to a set of rules and then we enforce those rules by running nodes that audit the chain and make sure that, hey, the chain is actually like authentic, no, like the chain is following the rules and no one's breaking the rules, right? So a node, nodes are like core to what blockchains are all about. Because again, that's how the users verify and enforce the rules. Now, um, the problem is that in traditional monolithic blockchains, um, you the, running a node means that you have to download and verify every single transaction. And that doesn't scale. And that's this is the fundamental reason why monolithic blockchains don't scale, is that uh, you know in such a system, as there's more transactions to that the blockchain needs to process, you have to download and, and verify that many more transactions. And so at a certain point, you've maxed out on what your computer, let's say your laptop or your phone can process. And now all of a sudden, now you as a user can no longer run a node. So now you have to go back, fall back to a, a, you know, tr a trusted system where you're trusting someone else who's running a node on your behalf. And the beautiful thing about modular blockchains and what Celestia has built with data availability sampling is it changes what the requirements are to run a node. And no, and, and what, what it is essentially in a modular blockchain, rather than having to download every transaction and verify every transaction one by one, if you want to verify the chain, you just download a small sample of the underlying block data. You sample randomly from the block data and that helps you verify that the data is available, the data was published. And then what that enables you to do is verify a proof, either a fraud or a ZK proof, that the execution of those transactions was done uh, according to the rules of the chain. And so with those two things together, all of a sudden you can verify the blockchain and that requires an amount of work that does not grow very much with the, an increase in the number of transactions in, in on the chain. And so all of a sudden you have this 
uh, ability to actually scale the, the throughput of the chain, the number of transactions, without uh, pricing out the average users. And so that, what I was just describing of like sampling randomly and verifying proofs is what like a light node is. And, um, and so specifically, what's so cool about it is it's so light, in fact, that you can run it on a smartphone or on like, even people have done it on Kindles or Nintendos, like, uh, you know, game consoles or like just random, all these like, uh, you know, any kind of like hardware device you can think of, people have been running light nodes just as a way to demonstrate that they're so light uh, you can run them anywhere. And I've, we've even run them like in really remote places with barely any internet connection on planes. Um, you know, you can really like, they're so light that like the idea is that anyone anywhere with any device can actually verify the chain. And, and then the, the scaling part, the other side of what light nodes do is not just that they enable users to verify the chain really efficiently, but they also power the scalability of the underlying network in Celestia because um, the way that the data availability sampling scheme works is that the more people who are sampling the block, the bigger the block can, can grow securely. And so it's not exponential though, it's, it's, it's a more of a linear relationship of the number of, of nodes increases the size of the block can be uh, in, in, in a linear way. Um, however, the, the, I think maybe what they were referring to when they were saying exponential scaling is the fact that the amount of work that you do as a light node scales as the square root of the size of the block. So that is kind of, that is exponential in the sense of like the, the, uh, the growth in the block size, uh, like is, is, uh, does not increase. It starts to increase almost like very, really slows down in the increase of work as it gets bigger and bigger. So there's this economy of scale and kind of this exponential, uh, nature to the way that, um, the block size can increase without increasing the, the work that a node has to do. Okay, so even if the block size increases, a, no, a light node uh, uh, doesn't, like a night, uh, the, the load on a light node does not increase linearly with the size of the block. Yes, it increases as the square root. But the, right. the number of light nodes that you need to securely sample uh, a, a certain size of block uh, increases linearly with the, the block size. So let's say like we went from two megabyte blocks to four megabyte blocks, you're going to need, so the block size just doubled, you're going to need twice as many light nodes. However, the work that the light, that each individual light node has to do did not grow linearly. It, it stayed actually quite flat. Right. Okay. Is there like, um, is, do you think there are, because light nodes are allowing uh, Celestia to scale, um, I mean, for the moment, like light nodes are not remunerated for this for this work, right? But you know, is there a future in which light nodes could be receiving some kind of uh, fee, like some rev share for essentially running? The, I mean, you know, validators make the lion's share of uh, of uh, of inflation and like fee rewards. But like light nodes are also allowing the network to scale in that respect. Um, is that something that's like being explored or that could potentially work or does that like does not work at all? It's something that we're definitely interested in. The problem is that um, light nodes are uh, not civil resistant, meaning that, you know, uh, if say we wanted to incentivize or reward light node operators, um, there's no way to stop someone from just spinning up a million of them 
and kind of capturing an unfair amount of, of the rewards for themselves. And so, you know, as opposed to like validators, like there is civil resistance because there's proof of stake. You have to put up stake to be part of the active validator set. Um, and so that's, that's really the challenge here. So maybe in the future, if there's some kind of like identity system or, or something, some way of, you know, gaining civil resistance, then that could make sense. But so far, I mean, that's mm -hmm. a, but that's an age old problem. And so far, I don't think there's yet a good solution, but I'm not saying that there wouldn't be in the future. And, and that, that would be really awesome, I think. However, I'll also say that, um, you know, running a light node, first of all, is, is going to be extremely cheap, like really, really cheap. Like you won't notice it um, if it's running in the background. And um, it's also going to be embedded in wallets and in browsers and, and things. So that in, in a way that like a lot of users won't even necessarily be aware, they won't have to have any expertise to do so. It's kind of just going to be part of like using a blockchain in the future. That's the way we envision it. And that's the kind of the, the, the thing that we're working towards. And in the same way that, um, and like the incentive to do it, like the way I, I talk about this is like, why run a light node? It's sort of like the same question as like, why lock your house? It's like, yeah, you know, I wish I lived in a, in a neighborhood or in a world where like, I didn't have to worry about, you know, leaving my house unlocked. Um, but the reality is I do because we, you know, we, we can't just trust people not to like walk into our house and like steal everything. And the same thing, like running a light node is like, as more and more of our assets are online, more and more of our lives are, are on blockchains, then it makes sense for us to, to just take the, the added, you know, amount of security to actually just verify and, and make sure that like, there's no, nothing like wrong is happening. And it's very similar to a lock, right? A lock is a very low effort thing. It's like, oh, it just takes me one second when I leave. It's the same thing with running a light node. It's like, you know, I don't even notice it, but it's something that gives me a feeling of safety and assurance uh, that, you know, my, my, all, my online life, my on-chain life is, is safe. Yeah. No, I, I think that's kind of the holy grail, right? Because right now, if you're interacting with any blockchain through a wallet, you're going, you're most likely, unless you're running your own node uh, or your own client, using someone else's RPC. Now, you know, you can do that in a trust, in a trust minimized way, but you're still, you still have that liveness risk. And, you know, if Infura goes down or Alchemy goes down, then, you know, so does all of Web3. And so that's why, you know, I'm, I'm quite bullish on teams like Lava Network that are building uh, a marketplace for RPC providers and data pro and data uh, APIs, you know, for for uh, for blockchains. Mm -hmm. uh, disclaimer: we're, we're investors in Lava, uh, but uh, but for Celestia, you know, if like if if the Light Node can just be embedded in browsers, right, to the point where you know if it, you know if if Celestia like basically you know, gets the lobby to W3C to make this kind of a web standard. And it just like, or I don't know what, what organization, but, or maybe just wallet, just maybe just browser, browser manufacturers or developers. Uh, uh, then yeah, you can have the, the light node right in your browser. Every time you launch your browser, your light node is running in the background or like right in, right in the wallet mm -hmm. uh, on a phone. And then you're not relying on someone else to, to do that verification for you. You're doing it by yourself. And, um, and there's, I think a tremendous benefit to that. And then it's all about, you know, creating the right, you know, UX, uh, abstractions to, uh, let users know that their data is in fact, you know, on the blockchain, the same way we have, you know, SSL, uh, 
you know, locks on our uh, little icons on our on our exactly. browser that shows us that we, you know, we're using a safe a safe uh, a safe connection. So I think that's yeah, it's very cool. Um, what, so what are the other types of nodes? Uh, so like last night at the meetup, we, we we were talking about the different types of nodes, and I realized I wasn't like super aware of the. The, the 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 two other types of nodes that exist in, in Celestia. So, do you explain like what are the different roles here? Yeah. Before I do that, I want to just comment, respond to sort of part of what you were saying because it's a really good point about RPCs. Like, you know, the the way the majority of users currently interact with blockchain applications is via RPC, right? So, uh, there's there's a few different problems with that, and and actually uh, Moxie. Uh, you know, who's sort of like a crypto OG, he wrote this long critique about crypto, uh, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, and one of his big points was like, yo, you, everyone uh, uses, all of the users just use RPCs, and so like this whole like trust minimization thing doesn't actually uh, like count in practice, because basically what happens if you're using an RPC, first of all, you're not actually verifying the chain yourself, so you're again like trusting someone else, to verify it for you and tell you the truth, right? So that's that's a really big one because then you're making an honest majority assumption on either the validators or you're just fully trusting whatever this RPC person tells you. Like, hey, this is your balance. This is, uh, yeah, the transaction went through. How do you actually know? You don't know. You just, you're just trusting that that end, end provider, right? So that's one, one issue. And the other issue is that, um, like you said, you know, your your all your transactions have to route through them, so it's not really a peer-to-peer -peer network in in the in the in the realist sense, right? Um, because you're you're not actually connected to the network. You're you're connected, you know, via proxy to you know to the network. And so, um, the cool thing about light nodes is that they they flip this on its head, and every user is actually is their own uh, sort of like RPC in a sense. They are actually they're verifying everything themselves directly by, by running the light node. And they are actually directly connected to the peer-to-peer -peer network of the chain. And so they're sending their transactions directly to the network, not through someone else. And, um, and we just think that's the future. That's actually what I think blockchain has always meant and aspired to be. But we had to take shortcuts because of the limitations of the infrastructure back, back at the time. So like light nodes, I think, will, will also like deliver us to this much more decentralized, secure place. For, for blockchain architecture. Now, in terms of other nodes that we have, so there are um, uh, validator nodes, right? So they are the ones that are actually voting on blocks and minting new blocks into the chain. And then you have what we call bridge nodes, which uh, bridge from the sort of the consensus network to the data availability network, because currently those are two separate networks that, are, that, that overlap via the bridge nodes. And so the bridge nodes kind of facilitate this communication between the consensus and the data availability networks. And then you have like, you know, data availability nodes who are more just, you know, um, checking that the data is available. And there's different sort of tiers of those. Um, some, you can have like an archival node that's storing everything. Eventually we're gonna um, uh, implement pruning. That's like the, the next closest thing on our roadmap so that uh, data availability nodes don't have to store data forever. And then you kind of have tiers. Eventually, we'll have partial nodes that if you want to, uh, for example, just listen to a specific namespace and store that data, you can do that. Uh, and then we have light nodes, which are just doing the, the bare bones uh, sampling of, of the underlying block data to verify that the data is available, but they're not necessarily like, uh, you know, actually downloading the full 
full uh, full data in the block. So you've mentioned namespaces a couple of times uh, already. So can you explain what this is and how it relates to applications? Yeah. So, you know, one of the benefits that Celestia has is that, um, you know, uh, as, as compared to other L1s, is that it was designed specifically for this roll-up centric world, right? It's an L1 that is built to provide uh, scalability and security for roll-ups and, and a better like user experience for roll-up developers. And so one of the key things that makes Celestia unique is uh, this idea of a namespace Merkle tree. So all the data that gets posted to Celestia is organized in a certain way that makes it really easy for someone who's using Celestia to just listen or, or sort of pull the specific data that is relevant to them. And that is that data is, is, is like a is is in a particular namespace. You can think of this as like an address, like the same way that Ethereum smart contracts have a, a contract address. It's a similar thing um, where all the data associated with a given rollup lives in, in a certain namespace address. And um, this just makes it way more efficient to, for example, prove the inclusion of certain data in, in the Celestia block and also to pull that data, the specific data that you care about uh, for your rollup rather than having to like sort through, you know, if it, was, if it wasn't organized that way, you'd have to like find some other way of like filtering out and sorting through uh, the, the specific data that you care about. Does, does that introduce any, um, does that introduce any issues with potential collisions or, um, or having to check like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, th does that introduce any problems also with applications maybe that are, um, wanting to interoperate like where an application might want to check, um, the data from another native space? Uh, sense? yeah. So, well, one of the cool things, so Celestia also had one of the benefits is um, it's really helpful for chains that want to interoperate with each other for a, a host of reasons. Um, but essentially, um, you know, let's take an example of those two separate chains um, that are running, you know, in parallel with each other, but they don't share a common consensus and data layer like Celestia. Then when they want to interoperate, they uh, don't have a way of verifying the, or like seeing directly the uh, sort of consensus and the data availability of the other chain. And that means that they end up having to trust the other validator set. And um, whereas if they are running both these rollups, both these chains are rollups that are running or posting the data to Celestia, they can, they're already natively verifying each other's data availability because they're both, uh, both their data is being posted to the same underlying data layer. Right, so when, when this one's nodes verify the data availability for its own chain, they're also indirectly verifying the data availability of this other chain. And there's nothing stopping, since they're also now connected, those nodes are all connected to the same like core network. It's really easy for these nodes to say, hey, I actually want to pull some data from this namespace and, and look at that and see what's going on. Um, so it's, uh, it becomes very easy for that kind of interoperability to, to take place. And also another thing that they, 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 they know the ordering of each other's blocks that way because they're both following the, the ordering of the, the underlying the Celestia consensus blocks. So uh, there's a lot of benefits for, for interoperability um, within a, a Celestia-like paradigm. 
Cool. I want to talk about Ethereum because uh, over the last couple of days, I've become aware that uh, Ethereum is a much larger part of Celestia's go-to-market as I had initially anticipated. See, I just thought Celestia would be this chain that would host rollups and like live in its own ecosystem. But um, you guys recently announced Blobstream and Blobstream, the way I understand it, is a way to allow Ethereum L2s to use Celestia's data availability while still sending uh, proofs to Ethereum, while still sort of committing to Ethereum, and that effectively allows them to reduce uh, the the cost of data availability on Ethereum. And it, it's it's a really great, I think, product strategy because you know, you're you know if you're an Ethereum L2, there's sort of like no reason not to do this, right? If 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 you care about cost, um, so yeah, sort of given some some high level context here for for Blobstream, but. Um, yeah, how important is Ethereum and sort of EVM L2s in the in the broader like Celestia go to market and and product vision? That's a great question. So um, Ethereum. So there's a, there's a long history of Celestia and Ethereum. And in fact, um, Lazy Ledger, the original idea behind Celestia was was initially envisioned as a as an Ethereum sidechain. Like the hope was like, hey, we can enhance Ethereum with uh, you know, data availability sampling and, and, and like a whole new capability for, for the Ethereum protocol itself. Um, but then uh, it, it's, it turns out essentially that there are limitations uh, to doing any kind of data availability as a side chain uh, to Ethereum. Um, and uh, for that reason, it turned out that we have to essentially launch our own network with our own token to, to build this. Um, and that is because basically you can't actually, there's no way for an Ethereum smart contract to verify the data availability of another chain. Um, it has to be done in the protocol, in the nodes themselves, because data availability withholding is an unattributable fault. Anyway, we can talk about that all later. But basically, uh, and, and, and another kind of overlap with Ethereum is that a lot of the original ideas for Celestia were proposed in the Ethereum uh, research forum. And so, like a lot of a lot of what Celestia is, is kind of like born out of the same values and research community as, as the original, like Ethereum community. So, uh, obviously, one of the major goals for us when we were launching Celestia is was to help to supplement Ethereum with additional data availability because we saw that as a real need for their ecosystem. Because there's a this there's a lot of rollups on on Ethereum already. There's the demand to launch even more rollups. And, but the problem is there's just this really constrained supply of data availability on the Ethereum L1. And that leads to really high fees for these rollups and makes it kind of, you know, uh, you kind of almost have to be a VC backed, uh, you know, uh, rollup team to be able to like afford launching and, and operating a rollup on Ethereum is sort of the state of, of, of things today. And so we wanted to provide something to the Ethereum community that would enable the, the, the price, the cost of operating a rollup and L2 on Ethereum to be significantly lower. And that's basically what Blobstream is, is it enables you as a L2 builder in the Ethereum community to settle on Ethereum, like still have your rollup be based uh, and rooted in Ethereum, but use Celestia for data availability. And uh, Celestia's Blobstream basically routes it sort of forwards uh, or relays a commitment to that data uh, to the Ethereum L1 where it gets verified. And then that 
is like the rollup uh, contract that you deploy on Ethereum can then look at that bridge, the Blobstream bridge, and verify that the data is, uh, is actually available. So the, the, the benefit here is we can drop the cost of operating a rollup on Ethereum or an L2 on Ethereum by orders of magnitude. And so we're, we're really looking forward to sort of like opening up the floodgates of like all these people who ha I think have been waiting to, to deploy L2s, um, but have kind of been blocked on, on just the underlying cost. And the, the good thing is too, that like there's, there's other solutions, right? Like data availability committees that people are talked, have talked about or have launched. But uh, the, the difference is a data availability committee is basically just making is a very like strong trust assumption on the operators of that, of that committee that they're not gonna rug you, right? And the, the good thing is that Celestia is a decentralized blockchain with many, many validators, as well as the fact that it has actually crypto economic stake behind it. So you have this much higher security guarantee than if you use a, a standard data availability committee. And you, you, in order to do that, you need to actually have a separate chain. Like you can, actually can't use Ethereum as a restaking uh, sort of collateral to secure an off-chain data availability uh, service. So um, I think Celestia is kind of like, through Blobstream is kind of the optimal uh, source of, of DA that uh, could can exist outside of like the Ethereum L1 itself. And what about existing L2s? You, you, you talked about this, this these new L2s that want to launch in Ethereum and where you know, the cost might be prohibitive. Can existing L2s, like say Arbitrum or um, you know, some of the ZK VMs, could, could they leverage this as well and, and transition to using Celestia data availability? They absolutely could. And I think you know, that's, that's a decision that's up to them and their community, right? Um, and there are security trade-offs, right? Like when you post all your data to, Celeste, to, to Ethereum, right? You have the full sort of like DA uh, guarantees of Ethereum itself, right? And that's, that's really, I would say, the um, you know, top tier security that you could get for an Ethereum rollup. Like if that's where you wanna be, that's the best you can do. Uh, however, it's really expensive. So um, you know, it, it's a kind of a trade-off for them. It's like, okay, well, do you want to, if they migrate to Celestia, they can save a huge amount on their fees and still like achieve a pretty good degree of security. Now it won't be as high as Ethereum, but I think it's like, uh, for the most part, like, you know, really, really strong and probably sufficient for, for a lot of these use cases. So it really comes down to their, their decision about like, what, what is the trade-off of cost and security that makes sense, makes the most sense for them. The one thing that I'll say is that in a Blobstream, like Celestia off-chain DA type of security model, um, you know, the Celestia validators could always lie to you, right, and, and withhold data. And um, in so doing, they could steal funds in the bridge, for example. So you have to consider uh, the risk that way of like, okay, well, how many, how many bridge funds are at risk uh, that the Celestia validators could, you know, feasibly, well, the Celestia validators in, in, in combination with the rollup operator could feasibly, um, you know, steal if they wanted to. And is that, is that amount of value going to be more or less than the amount of value at stake in the Celestia protocol? Because if it's uh, more, then it could be rational, it could make rational sense for the validators to do such an attack. But if it's less, then it's like, hmm, well, why would they do that? Because they would lose more money than they would gain. Okay, so here you're talking about the, 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 the bridge. Um, so, so 
you're, you're talking about the bridge between uh, the Celeste data availability layer and the Blobstream contract on Ethereum. I'm talking about, yeah, so there's multiple bridges in this. Uh, this is where modular blockchains okay. are really yeah, fun. Where are the, where are the, yeah, where are the bridges? So, <laughs> yeah. so you can think of a roll-up right as its own chain, and then they have a bridge yeah. to Ethereum, right? And so it, assets on Ethereum get deposited in this bridge, and then they get they appear on the roll-up. Um, and so one of the, the, uh, the, 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 the things you have to protect against as a roll-up is that the funds in the Ethereum bridge get stolen, right? So let's say you have a billion dollars worth of ETH in that bridge. If the roll-up operator is able to withhold data, they can post a, like a fraudulent sort of like header to the Ethereum bridge contract that transfers all the, the ownership of all those, that ETH to themselves, if that makes sense. And, but in order to do that, they have to, they have to be able to withhold data. So that's where the, the Celestia bridge comes in, <laughs> that um, what could happen is the Celestia validators would post something to the uh, via Blobstream to Ethereum saying, hey, we've ensured this data is available when actually it's not. And if they do that, then the rollup operator could, all, could then post a, you know, a header to the bridge that steals all the, steals all the funds. Um, now, if the data was actually available, someone would be able to post a fraud proof or, you know, there'd be a way to, to prevent that from happening. So hopefully that makes sense. There's like three chains in this situation, Celestia, Ethereum, and, and the rollup, and they each like interact in different ways. Okay. And, and the fact that Celestia, so the way, the way I see this is like, there's the, there's the L2, the L2 is sending proofs to Ethereum, right? And, yep. it, and it continues to send uh, like validity proofs um, or, or fraud proofs to Ethereum. And then the transaction data gets sent to Celestia. And then that transaction data also makes it into the contract because Celestia, so it's, you know, it's, you, know you guys have this, this, this diagram on the website and it's like yep. the L2 is in the middle, Celestia and Ethereum, it kind of goes like each way. And so the fact that, that Celestia is also sending an attestation of the DA, so essentially a proof that that data has been um, successfully committed to Celestia to Ethereum, does that not mitigate some of this? It does in the sense of now, if you know someone wanted to lie about the data being available uh, to the bridge contract on Ethereum, uh, they would have to like get the whole validator set of Celestia to collude to do so. And mm. if they did that, yeah. also the Celestia validator set would get slashed uh, for withholding data. Yeah. And so uh, there's a huge cost not only is it hard to coordinate that, but also there would be a huge economic cost to someone doing that. So um, that's, that's, that's the way in which it works. Yeah. Okay. And, and I also read about this, uh, this, this Ethereum fallback for the OP stack. How is that related to Blobstream? Yeah. So this uh, is something that we're really excited about. It's this idea that um, in so let's say you're a roll-up, right? Posting your data, your transaction data to Celestia. You're you're then kind of like uh, dependent on, you know, Celestia to make sure that your roll-up can can continue to operate, right? But if there's in case there's any sort of like disruption to the like Celestia service for whatever that whatever reason it could be, you know, network downtime or it could be congestion or, you know, there could be lots of different reasons why for some reason the the service 
uh, is no longer like available for like maybe temporarily. Um, the, the good news is that you can build in this fallback mechanism whereby, okay, I'm having trouble posting my data to Celestia for whatever reason, I'm gonna post it to Ethereum directly instead. And so what's, what's nice about that is it provides you this like backstop of service re reliability of, of Ethereum itself. So you don't, as a, as a roll-up operator now, if you're running an L2 that uses Celestia for DA, like you can at least, you can sleep better at night knowing that like, well, at the very worst, in the worst case, I can always post my data to Ethereum. Now, what I wanna note just uh, so that people are clear, this is, doesn't mean that uh, you have Ethereum level data availability guarantees. Um, it's, it's like the, the Celestia validator set could still withhold data. It's more about this like sort of like uptime slash reliability um, that it gives you. It's just, it's just cool because again, this is another example of how modular blockchains just kind of like, you know, enable these new things that, that uh, you know, there's no analog, you know, to, to other chains. It's like, wow, I can use, I can use either or, I can use Celestia or Ethereum, you know, at the same time and, um, you know, get the be best of both worlds uh, from that perspective. And it's, it's, it's like, it's kind of magical. I, I call, I call it modular magic. <laughs> Yeah, cool. Um, so I, I, I think like in, in the last few months, there's been this, this, this narrative that has been kind of coming up, at least in, in Cosmos about, uh, al about alignment, right? Like do applications want to align with the Cosmos hub? Uh, would app, you know, would applications, uh, align and, and, um, and supplement their security by, uh, committing uh, also to Ethereum, and then there are there's ideas of things like mesh security, uh, which which could potentially also implicate um, Ethereum security or ETH restaking through Eigenlayer. You know, where does Celestia fit within all this? And like in a world where you know um, mesh security exists and Cosmos app chains secure each other, potentially are also uh, being secured by restaked ETH uh, on Eigenlayer. There's a couple of projects that are uh, like very early projects that are uh, working on this. Uh, how how does Celestia sort of fit within this modular security future where chains are securing each other? Ethereum is also acting as security, maybe even Bitcoin through things like Babylon. Good question. Well, um, yeah, there's, there's quite a quite a range of different approaches to these, to solving these, these things of like, how do I secure my, my chain or, or whatever service that I'm trying to run. And, um, I think that, uh, like eigenlayer or like restaking or interchain security, uh, those kinds of approaches are actually quite different to the sort of like Celestia model of shared security, uh, in the sense of, um, you know, what restaking does or, Interchain security is it enables you to reuse. Well, actually, even interchain security is slightly different than the eigenlayer. But anyway, they allow you to uh, reuse existing like uh, like assets for to to sort of like collateralize a new committee, right? To uh, to operate some kind of service. And um, so that you could use that to bootstrap a new consensus committee. Like every, every consensus network is a committee at the end of the day. Or you could use that to bootstrap a new uh, committee for an Oracle, right? Because every Oracle also has to be a committee. Um, and, 
so I guess like well, that that saves you the 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 problem of having to you know issue your own coin, for example, which is is a is a big benefit. But the thing is, it, it's you're still having to bootstrap that set of, of, of validators and, and actors to run this this service or this this committee. Um, and on top of that, um, when you're you, what you're sharing, right, is the underlying asset. You're not actually sharing under, like actual security in terms of do, do these protocols know anything about each other? Are they actually able to verify each other more efficiently? Now, in the Celestia like version, right? you don't have to spin up a new committee. It, you actually plug in and use an existing consensus committee, which is the Celestia Validators, to have consensus, and you just pay for that service. So it's very, it's very different from that perspective. You're not actually having to create a net new committee. And uh, on top of that, you're, these chains that sort of plug into Celestia, these roll-ups, actually are, are sharing security in a very real sense that they are able to verify each other more directly because because like I was mentioning earlier they're they're sampling the same underlying data availability layer so it it really um, is a completely different uh, sort of like uh, means of, of like thinking about what shared security means and I think like it also you can't really like so what Celestia is is also uh, at the end of the day a, a scaling solution in that what scalability is is about verifying something more efficiently like uh, the cost of verification does not scale linearly with the amount of uh, transaction data that you can verify. Whereas like interchain security or, or restaking or things like that, <clears throat> they're not actually scaling or solving scalability. They're, they're just creating net new uh, things that you still need to verify with the same amount of effort, if that makes sense. Now, I guess like the difference is also that like with Celestia, you know, if you wanted to launch a new chain with, with a, like net new consensus, that's not some, something that Celestia can offer you. Like you do need to, to bootstrap a new committee for something like that. So they're just sort of like different, they're different offerings, I guess. But, oh, actually one thing just on my mesh security, what's really interesting is, you know, I, I've been, have been having a lot of exchanges with Sunny over, over the past year or so about like mesh security and how it could work. And interestingly, like, you know, the only way that mesh security can work is if there's underlying data availability between these chains. Because if you are putting, taking stake from one chain onto another, if these validators uh, that you staked to with a non-native asset do something wrong, there's no way to prove to the uh, issuer chain uh, that those assets should be slashed. And uh, unless you have fraud proofs and data availability. So um, at the end of the day, like the security model for mesh security boils down to basically needing to run rollups and needing to have uh, data availability. And so that's why there's like in the latest uh, iterations of mesh security that I've seen, there's this idea of using Celestia as a shared DA layer to facilitate mesh security in the interchain. I think you just like blew my mind on something. Are Consumer chains in mesh security actually roll ups to the provider chains? They kind of, if you want it to actually be secure, then yes, they, 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 not necessarily roll ups to the provider chains necessarily, but they need to be able to verify each other. 
And so they need to be rollups to a common data availability layer. That's, that's, that's the way that otherwise there's no way for you to slash for misbehavior on another chain. Right. So having your own, so, okay. So, uh, um, a, a provide so a consumer chain to a provider chain, even if it has its own validator set, would still need to post data to a, a shared data availability layer. It would be a roll up to that data availability layer because mm -hmm. it is provided it is sending its data there. Mm -hmm. But it is still securing uh, it's it's still it's still securing itself with its own validator set and securing other blockchains state with its uh, staked assets. Yeah, so like here's one way to think about it is like, okay, let's say we have Osmosis and I don't know, Neutron, right? And let's say they're doing mesh security. Osmosis, these, uh, people are taking Osmo, Osmo and staking it via mesh security to like validators on Neutron. Now, when those- the Validators on Neutron are Cosmos validators. Oh yeah, right, okay. That, Neutron's a bad excuse. Like, let's talk about think, the, think of things on the same semantic level. Sorry, yeah, yeah. What's another, <laughs> name another Cosmos chain. The Cosmos hub. <laughs> okay, yeah, Cosmos Hub. There we go. Whatever, right? So now they're they're staking Osmo uh, to validators on the Cosmos Hub. Now let's say the Cosmos Hub validators commit an invalid state transition, so they they do something that is like just breaks the rules of the chain, but they've all signed it, right? The Osmo the Osmosis validators have no way. The Osmosis nodes and network has no way of knowing that that is actually fraudulent. All they can do is verify the signatures of that thing. They can't actually re-execute the state transitions of the... They don't have the data. Yeah, especially if there's data withholding, right? And so all of a sudden now it's like, hey, like they're like, hey, we need to slash these guys because they just... The, the full nodes on the, on, on the Cosmos Hub are like, hey, we need to slash these guys because they just like broke the rules. But then the they in order to slash them, the the, the, the stake that was, you know, you know, committed to here, Osmosis... Uh, network and nodes need to understand that and be able to interpret that, but they can't unless they are sharing a common data availability layer and there's some kind of fraud or ZK proof system between them so they can verify, hey, like, yes, this was this is an invalid block that was signed by these guys. Therefore, we're going to slash all of them, including the osmosis stake on our chain. So hopefully that I mean, they're using Blobstream, it. essentially, like they end up using Blobstream, right? Yeah, in this case, they would be probably more uh, it would be better if they were just like native rollups and they're both posting their data directly to Celestia. Okay. Got it. Boy, this is, this gets complicated real fast, but also <laughs> gets really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I've got to, I've got to spend more time in mesh security. Like for, for now it's just sort of like this nebulous concept that I've not spent a whole lot of time like digging deep into. And it just seems like there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening mm -hmm. here. Great. Well, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about other DA layers. It, it seems like a lot of other projects and teams are hopping on the DA narrative. Uh, there's uh, like Avail. We had Anurag on the podcast recently. I think they're uh, building this, something that's quite promising, but also very different from Celestia, potentially like on the, especially on the consensus side. And also I think they have a um they they have an ambition to like really have a um a much broader validator set right that that has different trade-offs than uh than tendermint consensus 
mm-hmm. and then also near has announced that they're going to do some da- some da stuff although i don't know very much about it for the moment so the this 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 emerging landscape of da protocols like which which are you mo- which are you the most impressed with and what does what the what like in, in the future would would it be useful for applications to post to multiple DAs to to just in, increase uh, the security provided uh, to their application or does that not make sense? So um, the DA landscape is growing, which is great because frankly I feel like there's um, it's surprising to me that that. Uh, there's so few actual like dedicated DA solutions out there on the market, even in the fact that like we're 2023, almost 2024, right? <laughs> and um, I kind of categorize them into two broad things. Like the first are, you know, genuine DA layers that are designed from the ground up specifically for this new future. And those uh, also support data availability sampling because data availability sampling is the gold standard in how you scale secure like uh, bandwidth, like DA bandwidth. Um, and so the only projects or protocols that I'm aware of that are doing that are Celestia, which is live, uh, Avail, which is uh, you know, on, on testnet, and then uh, you know, dank sharding, which is still sort of like a proposal, but I think you know, is the EIP 4844, which is proto dank sharding, which is kind of the first step towards that. Um, uh, is is another one, uh, and then you have a suite of these other solutions that are either like committee based, or they are existing L ones that like near, for example, who are saying, hey, well, we can be a DA solution too, right? Um, and the reason I s- separate those two things is that like data availability sampling enables users to verify DA directly. It enables the DA throughput of the chain to scale with the number of users and nodes in the network, and um, provides you just the best the best security. Um, now the other DA solutions like uh, EigenDA or, or Near or whatever that don't support this um, just don't have the same scalability uh, or security uh, sort of like properties. And um, and so to me they're just not that interesting long term uh, as actual like long term solutions to to this to this underlying problem. Um, so I guess that's so now kind of like setting that aside. Um, comparing, for example, uh, Celestia to Avail, I think a lot of the um, there's a similar vision of creating a very like minimal uh, DA layer with DAS. Uh, and I think where Avail is different is they, like you said, they have a different consensus algorithm. So they use Polkadot, Babe, Grandpa, consensus, and they use uh, a different uh, way of, of committing to the the um, the, the data that uh, uses KZG commitments. And what that means is um, that they, uh, like, uh, we, we use a sort of a fraud-proof mechanism, and then what they use is more of like a validity-proof mechanism is one way to think about it. And um, I think the real difference is, is ultimately a lot, in a lot of these cases with, with DA layers is, is like execution. Like, there's a lot of, um, you know, theory, but like who can actually ship something that is scalable and that works uh, works well, and uh, and so I think like the like you'll see a lot of claims of like DA throughput probably circulating around uh, on crypto Twitter, you know, over the next year, and uh, the real thing is like, well, the proof should be in the pudding, and like who who can actually ship something that is really usable and actually efficient and effective, 
And I think um, so far, you know, only Celestia is really live, so it's hard to tell and compare apples to apples between these DA solutions. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's a space that I think I'll, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to keep my pulse, my, the, my finger on the pulse here about, you know, the um, promising like DA layers. And I think uh, obviously like Celestia you know, has a, a huge uh, advantage by being first to market by having attracted you know all of these projects to build on Celestia and just simplify the narrative but you know there will be others and and that I think that there, it's going to be a landscape of you know multiple DA layers that will align with different ecosystems and um, and sort of capture market share in different parts of crypto so it's going to be interesting to, to watch that uh, play out um, what uh, yeah coming back to the ecosystem so currently Celestia is still in, in beta, um, but applications are, are already starting to, to build there. What's the most exciting stuff that is currently being built on Celestia? Um, like I know I, I saw this uh, uh, Milky Way liquid staking project pop up in my Twitter feed the other day um, and some other, some other projects. So yeah, how, how many projects are building there? What are the things that people should be paying attention to? Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot. Um, I think the the first few that I'm like most excited about, um, and I'm probably going to leave out some, and because uh, it's just inevitable. But um, one that I'm really excited about in the near term is Manta. Uh, Manta is like a is a an EVM chain, but with oh, like special opcodes that make it really efficient to verify various like snarks and ZK, uh, ZK proofs. And what that enables is like, and, they, and they've like built in all this like, like uh, native functionality for like randomness or other like privacy, like ZK kind of functionality. And, and so it kind of is like this ecosystem for people to build really interesting applications that tap into that as like a fundamental building block. And um, they're currently a, a roll up on an Ethereum, um, but they will, when we launch Blobstream, they're going to migrate uh, their DA to Celestia while still settling to Ethereum. And there's uh, just a whole bunch of people who are building applications on Manta that are currently just too expensive to actually be like, you know, usable essentially. And so what, what like their whole community has basically been saying like, hey, when, when Celestia, when Celestia essentially. And um, I'm really excited because like it's going to unleash uh, and enable all these new applications that the, their community has built to actually like flourish. And so that's, that's a big one that's coming soon. Another one that I'm really excited for is Eclipse. They are launching a Solana virtual machine uh, rollup. I think we talked about this earlier. And um, I think what's cool about Eclipse is that, uh, you know, Solana is the, the second biggest sort of developer ecosystem after Ethereum. And uh, yet there's still only one Solana chain, right? Whereas like for, for Ethereum, there's been multiple EVM chains for many, many years, and there's all these different rollups. And so I think it'll be really interesting to see how the um, sort of like, you know, does like how, what, how does the Solana ecosystem, like developer ecosystem grow with this first non Solana L1 SVM chain. And, and I think what's cool about it too, is like that we're combining the best of both worlds. Cause I think Solana uh, to their credit has have built a, an amazing, you know, virtual machine that you know has parallelization has this like you know special gas fee sort of like market that makes things like more more efficient and i think 
uh, Celestia brings this really scalable underlying DA. So you can kind of, by combining these two things, I think it could be really, really powerful, like a really fast, really efficient, really cheap uh, blockchain on both the data availability and the execution sides. So that's another one that I'm excited about. I'm also excited about um, things like Argus. So Argus, uh, and, and uh, by the way, both Eclipse and Manta, for example, are using Blobstream and will be settling to Ethereum while using Celestia for DA. Argus, on the other hand, is, is a little bit different. It's, it's an on-chain gaming uh, so, uh, project where they built a specific VM that is tailor-made for on-chain gaming. And um, they, they have some games, I think, in the pipeline that will be ready to launch uh, soon. And um, what's, what's cool about it is that like, it's another example of why, of the kind of build whatever, right? And, and the, the, the reason why this modular blockchain thing is so revolutionary is that they've, um, you know, people have been trying to build games within the EVM or Solana VM or, or like these um, sort of execution environments that are not actually designed from the ground up for this use case. So they've gone ahead and built a whole new execution environment that has a high tick rate has like uh, native sharding to be able to like scale the game game worlds and and all these other features that are going to make gaming on Argus like uh, uh, just a superior experience uh, and um, I think uh, yeah I'm really excited for for them to launch and uh, I think Onchain Gaming is another just good example of, of like a use case that Celestia enables uniquely because uh, Onchain Gaming needs a lot of data throughput and there's currently not really a good place for someone to launch something like that. And um, Celestia just, the, by the nature of having all this scalable block space, is, is making on-chain gaming uh, you know, possible in, in, in a way that it wasn't before. Cool, I've uh, noted down all of those <laughs> to look into them. Yeah, and, uh, actually I'll, 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 I'll also that. mention another one that I'm really excited about, because you know, there's a lot. So I, I also feel bad because I won't be able to remember <laughs> all the all best ones. But Dimension <laughs> is a really interesting project. Yeah, of course, Dimension. Um, and what they're, what they're building is sort of like a Cosmos uh, SDK-based um, sort of like roll-up ecosystem with a, a hub that all these roll-ups like settle down to. Uh, and then and they'll post their data to Celestia. And, and what's cool is that they've made this, they have this like roller framework which makes it really, really easy to deploy a new rollup. And so I think they're going to un unleash just a crazy wave, a crazy amount of like people just deploying rollups. Um, I, I cur think currently on their testnet, they had already over 10,000 rollups deployed. Um, so there's like, wow. that's how easy they made it mm -hmm. is that like, you know, it, it really is just a few, few, uh, few commands and you can deploy a rollup out of the box. And they've done a lot of work thinking through like, you know the, the product aspect and the user experience um, to make it really really slick so um, really excited for them to launch as well great uh, before we wrap up here i wanted to ask you your your thoughts on this and so i've been thinking a lot about you know, as we enter this modular era uh you know we we've we've had we've had of course like the, the bitcoin era which was like a singular blockchain doing a singular thing and then we had the Ethereum EVM era, which was a virtual machine uh, that was able to do multiple things and build, you know, where people could build applications and, and, and dApps, but, but using a single purpose blockchain only built for like doing this one thing, right? Like running uh, this VM. And now we have the modular era where every application is essentially its own sovereign um, 
uh, roll-up. I mean, that, that, that appears to be like where we're heading, where every application is its own roll-up. In, in this context, you know, I, I think there, it appears like there is, um, that there will be a shift from uh, EVM-based applications to non-EVM-based applications. And, I, and, and the reason why I think this is gonna happen is because the, the EVM was not built for this modular uh, world. It, uh, it, it was built like, what, almost 10 years ago. Uh, it has a bunch of issues with security. You know, Solidity is not like a, a, um, a very secure uh, programming language, it has like a bunch of issues that we have not resolved yet. Um, the, it, it's, not, it's not built for the modular stack. And now with these new VMs, whether it's, you know, uh, the Cosmos SDK or Cosmwasm or the Solana VM or, or things like Move that are much more modern, that use programming languages like like Rust, which are much better uh, equipped, I think, for for blockchains. Um, you know, I, I think developers that are coming into the space, you know, that are coming out of college in the next five to ten years, are going to prefer to use those uh, those programming languages and those VMs rather than than the EVM. Now, I I don't think that that means that the EVM dies. I mean, the the EVM will continue to power some of the world's biggest DeFi applications like Uniswap and Aave and, and all of the value that's been created on Ethereum, just the new applications, the new uh, billion dollar protocols will probably use something something different. And again, we can make analogies to Web2 here, like PHP still powers 75% of the, webs, the websites on the web because like 60% of the websites on the internet are, are, are PHP, but it has a very like, narrow set of applications that it runs. It will continue to run and continue to be maintained as long as those applications exist. But college kids now that come out of school, like they're not coding with PHP, they're coding with like Node or whatever, like some other more modern um, uh, language. So I, I wonder if that resonates with you and if you agree and like where, where there might be holes in my theory here, but that's sort of where I see things heading and I wonder if you could uh, yeah share your thoughts on that. I absolutely agree and I think Again, this is one of the exciting things that the modular paradigm enables, right? Is uh, in the past, right, it was very expensive to uh, try to uh, innovate at the execution environment layer, right? So either, either you know, you had to convince the Ethereum community or some L existing L1 to, you know, make, make a change to the, to the uh, sort of EVM. Right, but that's really risky if there's already like assets and all this stuff, and that's why the innovation of the, of the EVM on on Ethereum has been so slow. People have all these AIPs, they never get shipped because it's just too, uh, you know, it's it's very dangerous and like fraught with you know making making a mistake. So like it slows it down from that perspective. Then your other option is like, okay, well I'll just launch my own, uh, you know, new chain with with a you know, a different version of the EVM that I I'm gonna like you know iterate on. But the problem with that is again. Now you have to launch a new chain, which is extremely expensive. You have to bootstrap a new consensus network, issue a new coin, all these things. So like there was basically no way to innovate or the, the only ways were just highly, really slow and costly to innovate at the execution uh, environment layer. And now with, uh, and there's actually a lot of parallels to this of like pre-Ethereum, right? If you wanted to launch a new decentralized application, you also had to launch a new chain. Like Bitcoin, like there was like Namecoin and uh, I don't know, I can't remember all these different like every time someone wanted to Litecoin. launch, yeah, everyone, well, yeah, every anytime someone wanted to launch a new decentralized application, they had an idea, 
that was different from Bitcoin, they had to launch a whole new chain. Until Ethereum came around and was like, hey, actually, we could just build a chain that enables anyone to launch their own application as a smart contract. And then once that was done, it was like, boom, it opened Pandora's box. There's this Cambrian explosion of new decentralized applications written as smart contracts because it just dropped the cost of innovating to almost nothing, right? It's like, okay, well, a kid, a kid in their college dorm room could like write a new smart contract and deploy it, right? Um, and so that's what I think Celestia brings. To, it does the same thing, but at the execution environment layer, where now if you want to launch a new chain, let's say you want to launch the EVM, but with parallelization, or you want to launch the EVM like, like Manta with these opcodes that make verifying ZK things more efficient, then you can do that permissionlessly and basically for free because it's just as simple as like writing it up, deploying it as a rollup on Celestia, and now like it's there. And, and uh, I think, so I, I expect like a, an a enormous acceleration of innovation in that, in that layer. And I totally agree with you. The EVM is not the be all and end all. It is, you know, kind of like, I think it's the most popular. It's kind of like, like very similar to PHP is something that, that works and is, is, has spread and has a network effect that I think is like very formidable, but I don't think uh, it's at all like the end state of like where, where like web three blockchain development will end up. Uh, there's a lot of like exciting new execution environments, not just the SVM, but move and, and Wasm based things that I think are underexplored. And I think uh, over time, like there's just gonna be way, way more options um, that are gonna be enable new use cases and just, just be more secure and have all kinds of benefits. So that's, I think the world that we're heading into. Great, I think that's a great note to end on. Uh, Nick, I wanna thank you so much for spending some time here with me on the podcast today. Learned a lot about Celestia, about the go-to-market, the, you know, the alignment with Ethereum in some ways, and also like the future of the modular ecosystem, uh, which is very exciting. Feels like a brand new, you know, I've been in crypto for 10 years and it really feels like now is like a, 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 a new era in crypto that is starting. Uh, with the modular stack becoming reality. And so very excited to be uh, a part of it. Yeah. Uh, thanks again. Well, it's my pleasure to uh, be on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. And I hope that people get inspired to, uh, you know, build something uh, in the modular stack, whether that's a rollup or, you know, sequencing things, uh, rollup frameworks, applications on top of existing rollups. Like it's really um, uh, an exciting time to be a builder in this space. So. Hopefully, those of you out there listening will, will uh, feel inspired to jump in and, and participate. Great. Thanks, Nick.